Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Talk is Cheap. I am your host, Will, flying solo tonight. Solo. Anybody remember that movie? It sucked, and it lost money. Disney won't tell you that, but it lost money. Which kind of leads me to the topic of tonight. Shitty movies, and more specifically, shitty movie sequels. When we think about successful movies, there's always that dread that anything with any amount of success or popularity will inevitably spawn a sequel. Some films have had a very successful line of sequels, but by far there have been an overwhelming amount of lackluster subpar sequels or spinoffs that do more damage to the original film than most may realize. Again, I'm looking at you, Disney, with all of your animated sequels to beloved classics like The Lion King, Mulan, Lilo and Stitch, 101 Dalmatians, and Pocahontas, just just to name a few. All of those sequels paled in comparison to the originals. But it's not just animated movies that have this problem. Look back at the Alien franchise that had a clear ending in Alien 3, only to be brought back to life and trashed to an inconceivable end with Alien Resurrection, the shitty spinoffs of Alien vs. Predator, and whatever the fuck Prometheus slash Alien vs. Alien Covenant was supposed to be. But how about all the Friday the 13th sequels, or The Nightmare on Elm Street, or Halloween, or Son of the Mask? Speed 2, anyone? Let's not forget about Caddyshack 2, or Jaws the Revenge, or anything that's been shat out by Tyler Perry. Dude, we get it. You like dressing in drag, but you're not fucking funny. And you will never be Eddie Murphy. Hollywood has no idea how to leave a successful property alone. This notion of taking something that people liked and beating every last dollar out of the franchise is not a good business model. Sure, it will work short term, which is the only way Hollywood can think. But the true test of a franchise is its longevity and effect on pop culture. Running something into the ground for diminishing returns hurts both the franchise, anyone associated with it, and the film that started it. How is it so hard for them to understand this is beyond me. But can a sequel be done well? Well, of course. I mean, obviously. There are many sequels out there that do well, if not better, than the original. Captain America Winter Soldier, The Dark Knight, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Spider-Man 2, The Godfather Part 2. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Terminator 2, Aliens, Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan, and that little-known movie franchise, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. What I'm getting at here is that it can and has been done well, without risking franchise fatigue, which is what keeps movies like Fast Five, any of the Harry Potter sequels, The Bourne Ultimatum, Toy Story 3, anything James Bond, and even Logie. Logan, Logan. Which, by the way, is hands down the best superhero movie ever. Fight me. Even something like Lord of the Rings is exempt from this concept, but not not the Hobbit movies. Lord of the Rings is exempt because it isn't a true trilogy. It is one story that takes three films to tell. One could argue that Harry Potter is the same way, but she did not go into that writing seven books. She went into that writing one book, got famous, and then decided, hey, I can make a franchise out of this. I mentioned franchise fatigue, and that's something I feel needs to be elaborated on. A prime example of this phenomenon is Disney Star Wars. If you haven't noticed a trend yet, fuck Disney, but that's a story for another time. 
When Disney bought Star Wars for the paltry sum of $4.1 billion, they planned on recouping their investment as fast as possible by pumping out movie after movie with no plan or concise vision. After the failures that were The Last Jedi, a.k.a. the death of Star Wars, and Solo, which, like I've mentioned, is the first Star Wars movie to actually lose money, former CEO Bob Iger cited franchise fatigue for the poor returns on the Star Wars franchise. Not crap writing, deconstruction of one of the most beloved film heroes ever made, and a film that no one wanted, plus the disaster that was Solo. But he wasn't completely wrong. Franchise fatigue is a symptom of overused tropes and less than stellar retreading of familiar grounds, i.e. slasher flicks, or worse, the overwhelming volume of them. Looking at you, Fast and the Furious, that series needs to die. Some series have managed to surpass this death note by continuing to engage their audiences through long-form storytelling or fresh stories using minimal familiar tropes. Best examples I can think of are the MCU, though after Endgame, fatigue has clearly set in. James Bond, who has managed to have a 25-film run before succumbing to boring plot lines and character assassination. And Godzilla, the longest-running film franchise, which sees the titular character reborn whenever the films start to stagnate. Take a note, Hollywood. Nearly all are not so lucky. Many fall into stagnation and direct to DVD releases well before they stop making them, even when it's clear that the horse is dead. But why? What is the reasoning behind all of this? Clearly, common sense is not a factor, or we wouldn't have had to suffer through Superman 3 and 4. I think there are three key factors. One, money. What money should have always, what made money should always keep making money, right? Seems like a reasonable line of thinking. The part that this is more hubris than anything else. When studios the size of your well-known Hollywood ilk get to be that size, they will greenlit practically anything. If a sequel doesn't perform well, well, it's not a problem because this other movie that they made raked in more money than they anticipated. They also fear stagnation. Intellectual property deals always have a time frame. And the one I know the best is Spider-Man. Marvel optioned Spider-Man to Sony so that Sony could make movies off the character and Marvel would get a cut. As long as the money was flowing, Sony wasn't at risk of letting the IP go dormant and having to, it revert back to Marvel. This is why the original trilogy was followed by a reboot. Sony had to keep making Spidey media or lose the license. Even if the reboots did horribly, they were still honoring the deal they had made. Things got sticky when the MCU blew up and everyone wanted to see Spidey return home to Marvel. So a new, probably similar deal was made. The key takeaway from this is that Sony doesn't just own the rights to make Spider-Man movies, but any movie that falls within the Spider-Universe, like Venom or Morbius. If they, are to part, if they are part of Spidey's rogues gallery, Marvel can't touch him. The same was true for X-Men and the Fantastic Four until Disney bought... 20th Century Fox and all of its properties for $71.3 billion. Way overspent, by the way. Way overspent. Creating the closest thing to a multimedia monopoly the likes this world has never seen. Like I said, fuck Disney. History aside, as long as studios are making money overall, a few failures can slide through to keep the license active and in the greedy hands of the studios. The second factor is the lack of creativity. 
it's far easier to work with an established franchise or universe than it is to create a new one. Most Hollywood writers are probably capable of creating new franchises, but again, it's the studios that get in the way. New is always a risk. James Cameron's avatar was an insane risk, but the studio let it happen because he was the guy that made Titanic, which broke records all over their faces. Avatar did the same thing, though I'll never know why. It's essentially dances with wolves, but in space, with explosions and blue alien chicks. Not exactly Oscar material, but they've already greenlit three sequels, I think, even though the time between films has been long enough for the franchise to die. So, creation of anything new is risky. For every Avatar, there's at least a dozen of Tom Cruise's The Mummy movies, which was not only a failure as a mummy reboot, but also failed to launch the Dark Universe movie franchise. The thing is, when these movies fail, they fail big. Massively, even. The Mummy, Tom Cruise's version, lost upwards of $100 million, which isn't chump change to a movie studio. A sequel, which can be done on a much smaller budget with no-named actors, could stand to lose half, maybe, of its cost and still well be and still be well under the loss of a hundred million. With that in mind, studios don't push for new unless they are hopping onto what's pop on the what's popular bandwagon. Fifty Shades of Grey would have never been a movie franchise if not for the craze surrounding the books, and I could argue that both have been left. Both should have been left well enough alone. People go to the theaters to see familiar faces like slasher flicks or aliens or morons with cars. They don't often go for what normal people call Oscar bait, movies specifically made to win Oscars, whether they are good movies or not. The, the romantic comedy or the heartfelt based on a true story narratives don't bring home big box office. Spectacle does. The term blockbuster originated in cinema with the ever-perfect Jaws, as it was the first film to earn over $100 million at the box office. That goal has since been moved quite a bit away now, thanks in no small part to the billion-dollar box office takes of the MCU. The last part I want to mention is sequel baiting. Again, thanks in no small part to the end credit scenes of the MCU, many movies with hopes of a sequel will either leave their ending vague and unfinished as to prompt calls for a sequel, or outright hint in an extra scene that there is more to the story than the one film contains. This trend needs to die. First, you are depending on your story being good enough to warrant a sequel or that you're going to make enough to deserve a sequel. And lastly, that people give a shit enough to want a sequel. Like Home Alone, a movie that had a complete heartwarming tale about family that in no way needed a sequel, or three, or five, or a shitty reboot by Disney. Fuck Disney. First Blood, Basic Instinct, Dirty Dancing, Taken, the list goes on and on. It's the curse of success. Hollywood can't stop trying to recreate it. We are creatures of habit and familiarity. We will return to what we know and what we've enjoyed in the past. Hollywood counts on that. They count on diminishing returns on familiar properties because they potentially make a little bit of money, maybe not record-breaking, but enough to fund experimental projects. The industry calls them staples, the go-to, the dust it off because it will sell on nostalgia. They may not be much, but they will always be good for a cash grab or home video release. 
So why do we get so many shitty sequels? Because we keep buying into the idea. Maybe on nostalgia, maybe on the hope that this one will be good, and maybe because it's safe and predictable. No matter the reason, the shitty sequel is here to stay, and maybe that's not such a bad thing. We could see the beginning of a rising star or a new take on a classic film character. Maybe the next Steven Spielberg is behind the camera just trying to get his big break. We all want Hollywood to do better, to deliver quality stories that we can latch onto and talk about for years to come. And sometimes that happens. But when those sleepy Sundays roll around and you just want something you can turn your brain off to and watch, why not choose a shitty sequel? It may just reinvigorate your love for the originals. Who the fuck am I kidding? All shitty sequels are goddamn shitty. It's in the fucking description for fuck's sake. Hollywood, Hollywood, hey, hey, are you listening? Do better and stop with the piss, people in super suits. It's been done well past death. And no more shit, superheroes in trouble. Move the fuck on already. On a special note, I would like to thank Neon and Geeky Sparkles of Clownfish TV, the YouTube channel, for those phrases. They're excellent. So there it is, folks. There is shitty movie sequels, why we have them, where they came from, and how they're not going to go away anytime soon. What I can say is that most people can easily spot a shitty sequel when they see one. Sharknado easy to find that that movie was going to spawn some shitty sequels. Anything put on the sci-fi channel back when the sci-fi channel was sci-fi and not sci-fi shitty movies, shitty movies are everywhere. What we love to see, what I personally love to see is big budget quote unquote blockbuster movies turn out to be shitty sequels like independence day resurgence. Independence day didn't need a sequel. It was perfect the way it was. Make a sequel, and now the franchise is forever tainted. Not that it was much of a franchise. One film is is not a franchise. The Hobbit movies were garbage. I just want to point that out. Peter Jackson was too high on his ego and really needed to be slapped upside the head and said, No, no, Peter, this is a bad idea. What else could I add to this? Um, this is uh, episode 13. Unlucky episode 13. Um, Unlucky if you believe in that sort of nonsense. I specifically don't, but you might. So with this one out of the way, um, we can have more and more fun. Um, I have the script done for the original versus remake round two, which will be Clash of the Titans. Interesting, interesting way it ended. I I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, Last week we had special guest star. Elise, yeah, she was fun. I can't wait to have another guest star on the show. I'm thinking about starting an Instagram for this show because it is it has taken off fairly well. I'm I'm really happy with the numbers and the fan turnout. And hopefully, with a wider platform that people don't universally hate, like Facebook, I could maybe get some more audience members, maybe some more guest stars. Funny little side note: this. Uh, the site I use to record these has analytics that allow me to see where people are from when they're listening. And we have reached 
around the world. We've reached Germany. I said that in a previous episode. Um, California, Ohio, Wisconsin. Um, people I don't, I don't even know that I may have impacted their lives. All I can say is thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for sticking with us as we try to figure out a release schedule that isn't overwhelming. Um, thank you for listening to my rants and nonsense because we all know that the joint episodes with Jeff are far funnier. I am not funny by myself. I need someone to work off of. Um, and I just want to let everybody know that I, I really appreciate it. I really do. Um, so that's it for tonight's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I thank you very much for listening and I will talk to you later. Bye. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Elise, Jeff, and myself, we thank you for your love and continued support. If you want to support us further or chime in on the discussion, you can find us at Facebook at Talk is Cheap. That's why we have a podcast. Or on Instagram at Talking underscore Cheap. Be sure to tell your friends, like our content, and share it. The best way we know how to do our job is for you guys to tell us what works and what doesn't. Anyways, love you all, appreciate all your support, and we will talk to you again soon.